welcome back to another episode of The Killer Kind. It's your host, Stephanie Miller, once again. I hope everyone had a great Labor Day weekend last weekend. And am I the only one that really considers that the last true day of summer? Like the day after Labor Day, I immediately jump into fall mode. I can't be the only one, right? <laughs> Anyways, I have an exciting announcement today, guys. If you follow the podcast Instagram, then you know what's coming. But if you don't follow us on Instagram, you definitely should so you don't miss out on any announcements or anything like this in the future. And the podcast Instagram is killer.kind.pod. So go give us a follow. So today I wanted to announce that I'll be doing a giveaway for when we hit 1,000 listens. Now, I thought about doing this giveaway after last week's episode because we were at about 800 listens and I thought, you know, we could get pretty close by next episode, if not actually hit it before next episode. So now as I'm recording this on Thursday the 10th, we have about 960 listens. Now, like I said, we were at about 800 and I don't know, 20 maybe when I recorded that last episode, but Basically, I put out a social media post on my personal page and I mentioned the podcast and there was a lot of people that I guess are just seeing me post about it for the first time, which I don't know how social media works, you know, because I don't know how people haven't seen it, but it's totally fine. They're seeing it now. And so I'm so thankful for that because since then we've gone up over like 150 listens since then. So that being said, We may actually hit a thousand listens before this episode comes out on Monday. Um, If we do, it's fine. I will announce it on social media. But basically what we're going to do is it's going to be a giveaway. And what I mean by that is once we hit a thousand listens, I will post on the podcast Instagram page and I will announce that the giveaway has started. Now, Basically, what's going to happen is I'll make a specific post about the giveaway and I will kind of give you instructions on how to enter the giveaway. And I'll probably leave it open for about a week or like just a few days. I'll I'll kind of put on there how long I want to leave it open for to give everybody time to go over there and enter. And once the giveaway entry is like closed, I will announce the winner. I'll just do a random drawing um, based on the rules um, that everybody followed or didn't. (laughs) We'll see. So what I want to give away is just a small gift card. I'm thinking just like a little Visa gift card or like a general gift card that anybody can use anywhere. And then I'm thinking of doing killer kind merch. Now I'm thinking of doing a t-shirt this time. I will see how difficult that is to do. I've been looking into it. Um, It doesn't seem to be too hard, so I'm just going to have to get it done and kind of see if I like it and then see if we want to do something else instead. But all the information will be on the giveaway post when it goes up. So be sure to check out the Instagram page and give us a follow. And I think you can turn on notifications for when we post. So be sure to do that too, just so you don't miss when the giveaway goes live. So yeah. I'm super excited, and like I said, we've had a big influx of listeners, so welcome. Welcome to The Killer Kind. I'm so happy to have you, and I hope you continue listening, and I'm pumped. (laughs) So let's go ahead and get started. 
Now, before we really dive in, though, I want to kind of give you a heads up that this story has a lot of players involved. There's a lot of people in this case, and we kind of do have to do a little backstory to kind of set the scene. So it's just a very odd story in general. So bear with me during the first part of this episode because I do kind of have to name all the players. I have to give the backstory and and kind of set the scene for you. But bear with me. It all comes together and I really think it's a good one. I think you'll enjoy it. And it's a fairly popular case. Um, a lot of my true crime lovers have said they've already heard of this case and they you know, they're dying for me to cover it. So this is one that was requested. So I'm hope I'm super excited. And if you haven't heard of it, then you're in for a wild ride, guys. <laughs> so without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this week's crazy case, the mysterious death of Rebecca Zahal. So normally I start off by telling you about the victim and their backstory. But like I mentioned, this is an odd case with several players. That being said, I have to start by telling you about a six-year-old boy named Max Shacknai. Max was the son of Jonah Shacknai and Dina Romano. Max's father, Jonah, was a self-made billionaire. He was the CEO of a pharmaceutical company who sold Restylane. Now, if you looked at him... You would probably know what that meant (laughs) if you don't already. Basically, it's a filler that people typically put in their face to smooth wrinkles or plump up their lips, you know, things like that. And let's just say Jonah has probably dabbled in his own supply, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Now, anyways, Jonah and Max's mom, Dina, were no longer together in 2011 when this all took place. The two had divorced in 2008. Dina went on to remarry, and Jonah went on to date a beautiful woman named Rebecca Zahal, which is who our story is about now. So, again, stay with me. Keep up. I'll recap in the middle. (laughs) So, like I said, we need to start with Max Shacknai. Now, Max, his father Jonah, Jonah's girlfriend Rebecca, and Rebecca's 13-year-old sister Zena were all on vacation at the Spreckles Mansion in Coronado, California. This is a home that Jonah would stay on vacation at, away from his home in Arizona. So, on July 11th, 2011, Rebecca, her sister Zena, and Max were all three at the house. Jonah was not there. It was the middle of the day, so he was working. On this day, Max was reportedly riding his scooter around the house when at some point he fell from the second floor balcony. Now, this is a balcony that's inside the house overlooking the main entrance to the home. So to kind of set the scene for you, when you walk into this home, there's a huge main entrance with like, you know, a staircase and a chandelier and the whole thing. And you can see the second floor from this main entrance, like a little railing right there, and you can kind of see the hallway to the second floor. So supposedly this is where he was riding his scooter, the second floor little hallway overlooking the first floor. Somehow he went over the railing and fell to the first floor. Now, a couple things to note here. One, when Max fell, he supposedly flipped over the second floor banister. Because when he was found, the scooter was laying on top of his legs. Two, 
there was a chandelier, like I said, that hung about a foot away from the banister in the center of the room. And it appeared to have been broken. Now, the chandelier did not fall on Max or anything like that, but it looked like it had been pulled from the wall. Kind of giving the idea that maybe Max grabbed it when he was falling over and trying to stop himself kind of thing. So, what ended up happening though, Max suffered very severe life-threatening injuries. He had broken bones in his face and he suffered a spinal cord injury as well. Now, Rebecca supposedly heard Max fall, but she was not in the room. She says that she did not get to see it happen. She was back in the restroom and her sister was in the shower at the time. So nobody witnessed Max's fall. However, Rebecca heard the commotion and she ran out and yelled to her sister to call 911. And Rebecca says that when she got to Max, he kind of kept saying the word ocean, which is the name of their dog. So Rebecca got the impression that it was the dog's fault somehow, and that's what Max was trying to relay to her. However, she wasn't 100% clear on why he was saying that. That was just her assumption. However, first responders would later report that Max was unconscious and not breathing when they were transporting him to the hospital. So let's stop there. That by itself is kind of a lot to uncover. Rebecca the girlfriend to this little boy's father. Rebecca is supposed to be watching him, but clearly wasn't. And this freak accident happens. Now, that being said, there are several people that do not believe this was an accident. Um, I hate to even report that, but I kind of have to give you all sides. Specifically, it was Max's mom, Dina. I will say, Dina said she liked Rebecca when they first met. And there was no ports of her saying that they had a bad relationship or anything prior to this, but Dina did hire a private firm to investigate Max's fall. Dina thought this had to be foul play, basically just based on the way he fell over a railing. I mean, he's only four foot something, and he flips over a railing. That can't be that easy to do, based on his height and everything. And they came back, actually, with reports showing that his center of gravity was too low. So it proved their point that he was not tall enough to have just accidentally, quote-unquote, fallen over this railing. However, during police investigation, they looked at the scooter, and the scooter had white paint on the bottom of it, indicating that Max had to have rode his scooter on the railing itself, therefore explaining how easily he fell. So basically, just kind of being a little reckless in in riding a scooter along the railing of the stairs so it makes sense but at the same time you have to hope that your kid's smarter than that and hope that he wouldn't be doing that however you know it kind of adds up with that theory that he was riding his scooter on the railing so it's really not hard I mean it's kind of hard to say that that didn't happen you know regardless Max was rushed to the local children's hospital and was in critical condition in ICU. Dina and Donna both stayed by his side, of course. And the day after the the accident, Rebecca's sister, Zena, flies back home. So during all of this commotion, Jonah and Dina are at the hospital with Max, full-time, basically. And Rebecca's just kind of back at the house, just, I'm sure, upset and very, very worried and very upset, but just kind of, kind of keeping her distance. Now, like I said, her sister goes home the day after this happens. 
Now, that being said, Max's mom, Dina, calls her twin sister, Nina, (laughs) and either asks her one to come stay or Nina offered. I'm not sure which one here. But either way, Rebecca was the one who picks up Nina from the airport when she flew into town on the 12th. Now, Nina would later report that Rebecca was acting very strange when she picked her up. She just didn't want to talk about the accident. Nina was asking questions and trying to figure out what happened, and Rebecca really wouldn't give her a straight answer. She just tried to avoid it, really, which was which Nina considered odd. Now, at some point, Rebecca goes to pick up Jonah's brother, Adam, who also comes into town to support his brother and his family during this terrible time. So let me stop and say, I'm unclear when Nina and Adam get into town because some reports say that Nina came into town on the 11th, but then I've also heard that she came into into town on the 12th. So we're going to say that both Nina and Adam both arrive in town on the same day, and Rebecca is the one who picks them both up from the airport separately. Okay, let's recap though. Like I told you, there's going to be a lot to unfold, a lot to go through. So I want to stop and really recap here and kind of get you to where we are right now. So, here we are, July 12th. It's the day after Max's fall. And Max is in ICU where his mom, Dina, and his dad, Jonah, are both by his side pretty much full time. And they have each flown in a family member to kind of be there for support and to help out with anything they need. So, Jonah's brother, Adam, is going to be staying at the house with Rebecca, although He'll be in the massive guest house of this property, (laughs) on this property, and Rebecca will be staying in the main house by herself because her little sister, again, has flown back home. But that's kind of where we are right now. We've got Jonah, Dina at the hospital. Nina is staying not at the house, but Adam is at the house with Rebecca. So it's just the two of them there. Now, I hope you're staying with me. I hope you're following following this. So now, Jonah does come back to the house for dinner with his brother and Rebecca. And the two just kind of, you know, do or the three just kind of do dinner and Jonah goes back to the hospital. Now, Adam reports that after dinner, he takes an Ambien before bed. And, which is basically a sleeping pill. It just helps him sleep, he says. He takes them all the time. So Adam says that he fell asleep around 8 p.m. and he doesn't wake up until the next morning. Now, the next thing we know is Adam calls 911 around 6.45 on the 13th. On this 911 call, Adam reports that he has found a body that is bound, gagged, and naked, hanging from the second story balcony on the back side of the house. Now, if you listen to the 911 call, you can hear Adam is just very nonchalant. He says, literally, yeah, we got a girl hung herself at the house over here on Ocean Boulevard. Where you guys came the other day for the boy? Obviously, that's a very odd way to report your brother's girlfriend's supposed suicide. But we'll come back to this 911 call later. So Adam ends up telling police that he had woken up and was going to get coffee when he noticed Rebecca. He said he, she was completely nude. She was gagged with like a long sleeve blue t-shirt. And the body, body of the shirt was wrapped around her neck three times. And the sleeves of the t-shirt were double knotted and stuffed into her mouth. 
Then he said he saw her hands bound behind her back and her feet bound together as well. She was also hanging by an orange rope, and it was the same type of rope used to bound her hands and feet. The rope she was hanging from was tied around the bed frame coming from the room that she had been staying in. Now, Adam says that when he first saw Rebecca, obviously he immediately ran to the kitchen to grab a knife and a small table, something that he could stand on and get to Rebecca and cut her loose. He said that he removed the long sleeve shirt from her mouth and around her neck. Then he started CPR. Now, let's talk about the initial investigation. First of all, let me tell you that the medical examiner did not arrive to the scene until around 7 p.m. that night. Rebecca's body was literally lying in the backyard for 12 hours. And that's not even the worst part. The worst part is that she was not covered. Now, what the heck is that all about? Like, we all know how crime scenes go, right? One of the first things they do is cover the body. Now, I guess I could see it not needing to be done because the medical examiner was not there yet. However, first of all, why does it take you 12 hours to get there? Second of all, do something to hide the body. Like, do something to keep this poor naked woman from being seen by everyone. And even worse than that, if you can imagine, is local news outlets caught word of the situation. So they sent a helicopter um, over the house and they showed her body on TV. Now they blurred it out, but you could still tell what it was, obviously. And obviously the the family was went ballistic over this. I mean, how disrespectful can you possibly be? But Clearly, nobody involved had any respect for this poor woman anyways. It was just so sad. Now, they do end up doing an autopsy, and it was determined that the cause of death was suicide by hanging. She did did have injuries around her neck that were consistent with, with hanging. However, she also had a fractured arm and multiple bruises on her back and, her, and arms. They tried to claim that she must have fell at like an awkward angle and hit some of the larger plants under the balcony. Seriously? (laughs) Now, I'm not sure how a plant can cause bruises and like abrasions on someone's body, but whatever. Anyways, one other thing to note was that they did determine that she also had no drugs or alcohol in her system. And they also determined her death, her time of death was around 3 a.m. on the night of the 13th. So now we know the situation. Now we have an idea of what happened to Rebecca. At least I hope you and I are on the same page here. (laughs) Basically, this whole suicide seems very suspicious. Just the way she had all those bruises and marks on her body and the way her hands, hands were tied around her back. One thing I purposely left out was the fact that the type of knot used to tie her hands together was a very particular kind of knot. I won't get into the exact terminology, but let's just say the media was reporting that the type of knot being used was a nautical knot, commonly used in boating. Fun fact about Rebecca's house guest, Adam, he was a tugboat pilot, and he lived on the Mississippi River during this time. Now, I'm not saying that implements him in the crime of murder here, but then again, I'm not saying it doesn't. (laughs) 
just giving you all the facts, right? Now, there were people saying that this house that they vacationed at is near the water and that Jonah had a boat. So, it's possible that Rebecca went with him and learned, you know, to tie these notes just by going with Jonah on the boat. However, her family was adamant that Rebecca always complained how Jonah would never take her on the boat. So, there's kind of mixed reports here and nobody's really sure, but it's just a good thing to point out that you kind of have to be skilled in boating or skilled in tying knots on a boat for this. Now, police later say that it's not specific to boating knots. However, it's a very common knot used in boating, so just keep that in mind. Now, back to the investigation a little bit. There were some more very suspicious things popping up during the investigation. One, police did find Rebecca's footprints on the balcony where they believe she jumped from. However, there was also a partial boot print found on that same balcony, basically right next to Rebecca's feet. Now, in the bedroom, the police would also find a white garbage bag, two paintbrushes, a small can of black paint, then two kitchen knives, one bigger one and one smaller one. Then, the creepiest and most bizarre part, if you can even imagine, if you can even imagine that this gets more bizarre, is they saw a message written in black paint on the back of the bedroom door, which read, she saved him, can you save her? I don't even know what to say about that. Nobody has really been able to determine what that could mean. So I would love to kind of get your feedback and see if you have any ideas or thoughts on what that could be. So at some point, the next door neighbor comes forward and also reports what they heard on the night of Rebecca's death. She said they heard a female screaming for help. And in general, she just said she heard a lot of screaming, a lot of commotion coming from the house. Now, you would think this would blow the case wide open and prove that this was not a suicide. Or at least, if nothing else, prove that this should be investigated further. Well, guess what? Surprisingly, the opposite happens here. The police pretty much tell the neighbor that she's mistaken, that she heard screams coming from another direction, and there's no way it was Rebecca, and they just straight up blew her off. So obviously, Rebecca's poor family just weren't buying this whole suicide thing, and then with the neighbor's reports, they were just over it. So they end up reaching out to a private. So they ended up reaching out to a private law firm and a very high-profile lawyer named Ann Bremner took on their case pro bono, which means for free, just because of the interest in the case that she had. Because after looking into the case, she thought the suicide was very suspicious. And Anne ended up bringing in a world-renowned forensic pathologist who had thousands of autopsies under his belt. So she brought him in to do a second autopsy. Now, there were a couple things that this guy agreed on with the first autopsy. He said that she had significant damage to her neck consistent with a hanging. However, he was also able to determine that that those same type of injuries could be caused by strangulation. Now, this next part may not be as relevant as the other evidence in this case, but I really think it helps prove this wasn't suicide just a little bit more. So, the family's attorney, Anne, pointed out that in most cases of a female committing suicide, there's two things she noted that are inconsistent with the way Rebecca 
was killed, or the way Rebecca died. She said, one, in a female suicide, most of the time, the female's hair is pulled out because it kind of gets caught on like whatever is around their neck, you know, noose, shirt, whatever. Um, and in this case, Rebecca's hair had not been pulled out. Now, one other thing is females are just not going to commit suicide naked. That just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. That's embarrassing for them. I just don't see, like, I feel like suicide's already embarrassing enough. I don't, I don't see why they would want to do that. And she said that's the same, you know, the same thing that it's unheard of for a female to commit suicide naked. Now, lastly, in both autopsies, it was determined that Rebecca had damage to the top of her head. In the first autopsy, they were still going with she hit her head on like the plants underneath the balcony or like maybe even the balcony itself. But again, that just doesn't add up. And the doctor in the second autopsy said the same thing. It this was definitely not the case. The damage done to the top of her head was consistent with blows to the head, meaning something she was hit with something physically. So all of this is just not adding up, right? Well, it gets better or worse, however you want to look at it. So right after Rebecca's death, during the initial investigation, they collected all computers in the house as well as any phones, including Adams since he had been staying in the house the night, that night. This is another one of those things that may not be relevant, but it definitely doesn't help Adam out. So police found searches on Adam's phone for quote-unquote sexy Asian girls and quote-unquote bondage anime. So suspicious because of the fact that he was in the same house with an Asian woman who was bound, found bound and gagged. But again, who am I to speculate? So, a year later, Rebecca's family ends up filing a civil lawsuit worth $10 million, claiming Rebecca's death was a murder. Now, shockingly, in that lawsuit, the family would name Dina, Nina, and Adam, basically saying that all three were involved in the beating and killing of Rebecca. But later, the lawsuit would drop Dina and Nina because they both had pretty solid alibis, but Adam did not. So, they moved forward with a civil wrongful death lawsuit. So, that ended up going to trial in 2018. So, let me stop and explain. The family was forced to file a civil lawsuit because the police had closed Rebecca's case and marked it as suicide. Therefore, a criminal trial could not be done. With a civil trial, the defendant has to be proven has to be proved guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And unfortunately, in the majority of civil trials, the defendant rarely ends up being sent to prison. It's more of a, you know, the defendant has to give money to the family or has to pay them in damages. But the family knew this. The family knew that really Adam didn't have any money. They All they wanted to do was prove that Adam killed Rebecca. And after that, they were hoping that the trial could be, that the case could be reopened by the police and that he could actually seek prison time. Now, during the trial, nothing placed Adam at the scene of the crime, unfortunately, meaning there was no fingerprints or DNA or anything found near or around Rebecca's body. And one other thing in the investigation is that it was pretty clear to police that 
the house had been wiped down at some point. So it makes sense there was no DNA or fingerprints found in the home uh, or around the scene um, showing Adam was involved. However, so what ends up happening is Adam gets called to the stand. And in this and his whole demeanor is the exact same as the way it was during the 911 call. Just very nonchalant, basically showing no emotion. Now, they do end up playing that 911 call for the jury, and the family's attorney asks him, "Why didn't you or why did you refer to Rebecca as a some girl basically? Why didn't you call her by name?" And he just replies back with a very sarcastic remark like, "Well, she is a girl, you know." So no needless to say, this guy's a douchebag. We do not like him. <laughs> Regardless if he did this or not, you just don't act like this. I mean, have some sympathy for this family. Regardless of how you feel about being tried for the murder. Like, come on. Have some respect. But, oh well. And needless to say, the whole room hated this guy. So, in their closing arguments, the family's attorney goes on to just pretty much go in on Adam. They really lay out what they think exactly happened to Rebecca that night. They say that Rebecca had been in the shower and she was confronted by Adam when she was getting out. Now, I didn't really want to mention this at the beginning because I I just know all the guys listening are going to squirm a little bit, but it's kind of important to note. So basically, we know that Rebecca was on her period during this time. This was determined in the initial investigation, but I won't get into, I won't get into it really, other than the fact that a single drop of blood was found in the shower, clearly done after she's turned off the shower water and about to step out. And then there was also one other single drop of blood on the floor completely across the house, along with her towel and her cell phone. So... So the attorney goes on to say Adam attacks Rebecca in a fit of rage. Basically because of what happened to Max. But then he ends up sexually assaulting her. I'm assuming this is probably when he ties her up and bounds and gags her. And then he kills her at some point, obviously. But then he tries to cover it up by tying a rope to around tying a rope around her neck and throwing her off the balcony. Basically trying to make it look like a suicide. Now, all the defendant has is there is no DNA or fingerprints on or around Rebecca. That's really their only defense. So, which, I mean, again, makes sense. But like I told you, the place seemed to be wiped down. So, anyways, the jury did come back with a guilty verdict, luckily. And he is ordered to pay the family $5 million in damages. But again, since this is a civil lawsuit or a civil case, there's no jail time for this guy. And the local police do open the case back up in 2018 after the trial, but they determined yet again that Rebecca died by suicide. And last thing to note here about this case is that Jonah did help get the case reopened so he could get closure for his family and Rebecca's family. But at the same time, he was paying the legal fees for Adam during his civil trial. So I don't trust this Jonah guy. I want... I really feel like he's the problem here with the police being so sketchy. I think he wanted it closed quickly, whether he believed it was suicide or not. I, I just, I don't feel that he had genuine sympathy for her. I'm not going to go as far to say that he was involved in this, maybe hiring Adam or 
or whatever, but I think he's a high-profile guy. I think he's a billionaire with a lot of money, a lot of pull in his community, and I just think that he wanted this to go away again. I don't know on what level, but that's my theory. So, like always, I would la- I would definitely want to know what your theory is. What do you think happened? And how about the bombshell of Dina and Nina being mentioned in the family's lawsuit? I definitely want to th- know what you think. Do you think Dina and Nina were involved? Do you think Jonah was involved? I go back and forth on this. I could see it kind of being an isolated incident with Adam. Because, obviously, I 100% believe Adam killed her. I don't care what anybody says. I just, I can't wrap my head around how Dina and Nina and Jonah would all come into this. It was just only a day after Max's fall. I just, I don't know. I just don't see them cooking up this plan together. But at the same time, I may think at the same time that she, or Dina and Nina weren't sad that it happened. Or that Jonah wasn't sad that it happened. Again, I don't know. I'm just speculating. What are your thoughts? Go over to the Instagram page. Comment on this week's episode and let me know what you think about the other players in this case. Or if you strictly just think, like me, that it was solely Adam that killed her. Or if you think it's suicide. <laughs> Definitely let me know. what. Let me know what your thoughts are. I would love to hear any theories that you have. There's a lot of theories surrounding this case, so... If you have any, I would love to hear it. But all right, guys, that's going to be it for me. Um, reminder, we have the giveaway coming up. I am still recording this on Thursday. So if it's Monday and we have a 1,000 listens, then I will announce the giveaway. Otherwise, wait and check out the Instagram page, and you will, and I will post about the giveaway as soon as we have a thousand listens so be sure to enter follow the directions on the instagram post and i can't wait to see who wins and yeah i'm pumped so share this podcast with your friends be sure to give us a five-star review that definitely helps us out um and that's it guys thanks so much for joining me once again and i can't wait to see you back here in two weeks thanks guys be safe out there bye